Good morning, friends. Well, we want to welcome you to the last morning of Inner Renewal Week, and I think it's time for expressions of gratitude. First, uh, for our singers who have started each day so beautifully, and for our tech team, the sound and the camera and the people that are live streaming it so that people all over the world can watch. And for all of you who have come and given us such wonderful attention. You know, I have to say, it makes it a lot easier to teach when people really are paying attention. Yeah. And, and you all really were, it was yeah. very helpful. And to our online visitors and viewers, uh, whether live or in the future, we're very glad you can join us. And of course, special thanks, the ultimate thanks are to Master and Swamiji, who, who's teach, who gave us these teachings, who gave us this life in God, who gave us a path to find lasting happiness. And I'll just share, Sunday night before the classes started, I had a dream about Swamiji. And uh, Jyotish and I were in the dream. We were getting ready to come to teach the class. And we got here, but there was some mix-up, and there were only two people here. And we thought, oh. And then all of a sudden, Swamiji walked in. And it seemed very natural. He said, you know what? I'll teach the class. And he started teaching, and the room filled up. So <laughs> I, I want you to know that, really, he's, Swami has been the one who imbued us with any ability to share the teachings. And then, of course, Master brought the teachings. So without them, none of this would be possible. So that's where the gratitude really lies. And um, today, just to let you know, we're going to, we are going to, now we're going to, um, <laughs> we're going When we were in Italy, we had a, a good friend who learned to uh, speak English actually very well, mainly by listening to American music and also watching American television. But she came to us, she was quite confused, and she said, I, I can't find anywhere in my dictionary gonna. What, what is gonna? And she had, still had a little bit of an accent. It finally took us a little while, and then she quoted some song saying, I, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and then we understood, so. Davy corrected herself. <laughs> so we are going to um, switch off as we did on Wednesday. So Jatish will talk for a period, then I'll talk. And I think we won't end with questions today because we have a special uh, surprise gift for all of you at the end. And we want to just end on that wave of inspiration. And then uh, we will have close with the meditation. So. Anything more? Today we're going to talk about the role of what, what is the goal and mission of Ananda? I don't like to use the word organization. Ananda is not an organization, but it is a Sangha, a group of people who are seeking truth together. So we're going to talk about the role and mission of Ananda, Sangha, and the role within that of us as individuals. And with having said that, we have four individuals who are going to come up and sing. But we'll start with a prayer. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Great Masters of Self-Realization, Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Beloved Guru, Paramahansa Yoganandaji, great saints of all religions, we humbly bow to you all. O Lord, bless our pathway that leads back to union with thee. We are eternally grateful for this path, for the great guides, and for the company and support of each other. We bow at thy feet again and again. Om. Peace. Amen. So um, we're going to do many hands. And of course, we're social distanced. But we invite you to mentally connect hand to hand throughout the room and throughout the world. Where there's hatred, 
last song, of course, is the prayer of St. Francis. And while it's known as the prayer of St. Francis, the first instance of it was found in the breviary or the journal of William the Conqueror, who Master said that he was William in a past life. And so um, St. Francis and Master are linked together in many ways. Master called St. Francis the, uh, yes, I know, I will. Okay. <laughs> I have not, <clears throat> not forgotten. This is pity the poor fellow. This is his last performance, and then he goes on the shelf for a year or so. <laughs> but, so, Master called St. Francis his patron saint. And when we were trying to establish the work in Italy, it was almost as if Italy and the people there were trying to push us out. There just wasn't much receptivity. Among a few individuals, there were, but we were living at the time in the north of Italy, Lake Como area. And um, at one point, we decided that we should just take a break and we went to Assisi. And just arriving in Assisi, it felt like we had come home. We knew where everything was. We knew the streets. Everything welcomed us. It was cold. It was wintertime. But there was an embrace. And it felt like St. Francis was saying, come, you're my own, and we'll help establish this work together. And indeed, we now have a beautifully flourishing work in Italy and then from beyond that through all of Europe. So let's invite the Pandavas for one last time. Okay, well, 
symbolically we have been inviting them, but I really feel like they have been here. Pandavas, of course, also represent our lineage, and they've been here all week. As Davy said, um, the classes wouldn't be possible without the great teachings that we have gotten from them. And I want to start by talking about um, the goal and the purpose of Ananda Sangha. It really comes back to the, our lineage, because this lineage came with a particular mission at this time in history, as we've been talking about. And they master especially bringing that mission, the great teachings of ancient India, but reformed uh, or restated so that they work for this time, this current era that we're in. The teachings are timeless, but they have to go through times of clarification and restating of them. But that should be done by a master. We have to express the teachings in new ways. We have to give them a meaning that communicates to the people that we're talking with. But if we change the teachings, then we begin to lose the power that's behind it because this mission comes from God. And so the primary goal of Ananda is to continue the mission that Master brought and that Swamiji dedicated his life to, which really boils down to two things, to have a path that leads us to God, to self-realization, to tread that path individually so that we have a search for God, and then to share that with others, to share it by support, by friendship, by teachings, by paintings, by any means possible, but to share the inspiration because our job is also to help um, perpetuate these teachings. <clears throat> I was thinking this morning that, and I hope this does not sound, um, I don't know, provincial or sectarian, but I was thinking about other great teachers that have come roughly at the same time or slightly after Master. I was thinking in particular of Ramakrishna and Ananda Ma, great, great souls, enlightened beings with a path and a teaching. But it was not as if that was the teaching particularly for this age. If you look at the time of Ramakrishna and you look at Ramakrishna's teachings now, I would guess that there are far, far fewer people who are practicing Ramakrishna's teachings now than there were during his lifetime and shortly thereafter, the time of Vivekananda. The same with Ananda Ma. We know many people who are have been disciples of Ananda Moima, but those great saints 
came with a vibration and drew a certain group of people, but it's as if that was a point in time. But look at Master. There must be a whole, there must be 10 times, 100 times as many people practicing and living these teachings today as when he was alive and teaching them. And that to me says that there is a particular grace. I do not want to put down any other path because every path that leads to God has validity and it has its own particular gift to give to people who are in tune with that particular vibration. But what I am trying to say here is that there is a particular grace behind the path that Master brought, that this lineage brought, and that's being demonstrated by the fact that it is spreading and growing and growing in strength and growing in depth throughout the world. And our job as Ananda Sangha, as I said, I don't like to speak of Ananda as an organization because it's not. Swami was, if anything, anti-organizational and he drew people who didn't much like organization. And so that has uh, perpetuated, but every grouping has a certain, one might call it a culture that goes with that, that group. And so Ananda Sangha does have a particular kind of vibration and culture that was established by Master. It has joy. Master said that he brought three of the eight um, qualities of God. He particularly expressed three of them, love, wisdom, and joy. And you look at Swami's life and obviously the same thing. But that's kind of, one might say, the vibration of Ananda Sangha. Wisdom, trying to understand, um, study, have discrimination, discernment about how to live life. Love, love expressed in many, many ways. Um, universal love and personal love and friendship and kindness and all of the uplifted qualities of the heart and joy, joy most of all. Swami one time, and he was very fond of quoting this, he he's, was meeting with somebody who was sort of a disciple, but not really, just kind of very peripherally involved and uh, a group, small group, four or five people uh, went with Swami to meet with this person. And the person said, oh, I can always tell people from Ananda. And um, Swami said, well, how do you mean? He said, they're always filled with joy and humor and friendship. And I can always tell them. And, you know, it says in the Gita that all of Krishna's soldiers look like Krishna. Well, all of Master's children have that vibration of Master. And that essentially is our job as a group, as a Sangha, to perpetuate that vibration because that's where 
the grace comes from. That's where the power comes from. If we get away from that, and as we go through the generations, the possibility of drifting from that grows. But if we get away from that, the power that sustains us, the power that allows us to do anything that's effective as a Sangha will begin to dissipate and disappear. And so that, above all, to be in attunement with not only the teachings, but the vibration of what Master and Swami brought. You've all heard that um, there was a little exchange between uh, Swami, uh, excuse me, Master and Rajasi Janakananda. So Rajasi Janakananda was a multimillionaire, started one of the largest insurance companies in America, was um, on the board of directors of many, many corporations, was so rich that he had his own private little golf course in Kansas City. So a very prominent, very successful person. And he became, but he said he was filled with anxiety and nervousness until he met Master, became not only his disciple, but his most advanced disciple. And Master at one time said, remember Rajasi where your power comes from. And Rajasi, just like a little boy, said, I won't, Master, I won't. I know it comes from you. Well, that's true for all of us. Our power, whatever power we have, whatever goal, whatever purpose Ananda Sangha has, that power comes from Master and comes from God, but channeled through Master, channeled through this lineage. And our first and primary job is to stay true to that. Now, we're very well established now. And so people come here and they see, you know, the Sangha that we have, the group that we have, the uh, wonderful expression that we have. And there's no question of it, but it didn't start out that way. The beginning, Swami had to fight to start that vibration. He had many people in the first year, two years, three, really up until the time of the fire, which blew through and kind of destroyed the homes and those people who were just kind of here, they were at Ananda, but not in Ananda. And they had homes, but those homes were finally taken. And so quite a number of people exited at that time. But up until that time, 1976, so this was six, seven years into the community, Swami was in a running battle to establish Ananda as a place where we lived for Master and Master alone and in the right vibration. And he had attacks from both sides. He had many people who uh, were, I don't know, we, a lot of people came in the first year from kind of the hippie drug culture. 
And so they were just kind of hanging out and they wanted some improvement in their life. And, and many of them were very fine people. I don't want to put them down, but they weren't disciplined nor committed to this. And so he had basically a group of people saying, don't be so uptight, don't be so focused, don't be so, and, and then he had a lot of people who were eclectic, who were saying, don't be so uptight, there are so many beautiful teachings out there, why can't we just kind of do them all? And so Swami, Swami, uh, Devi and I have been reading, Swami had a response to that. And this is again kind of a, one might call it a corporate culture or a Sangha culture. He didn't fight with those people. He didn't get into negativity and battles, but he held absolutely firm to his convictions and he worked with the people that were in tune. And so those people gradually left and uh, then we had a little bit of the other side, which was there was one man here who had been an ex-SRF monk, and he was overly rigid, <laughs> and overly only this way and only that way, and uh, we can't allow these. He finally, about a, I suppose it was a month before he left, he came to Ananda, Arta Swami exasperated, and he said, anybody can join Ananda. All you have to do is say, you're off drugs and chant Om three times, and you're a <laughs> member of Ananda. And he was, he was upset because we weren't rule-bound. Well, part of the, one might say, culture that came down from Master is not to be rule-bound, and Swami, perpetuated that. Still today, we don't have any rules. We have certain behaviors, and the, the rules that we do have, there's one that we really are fairly strict about, and that's no drugs and alcohol, because that would change the mental vibration of the community. The other rule that we have, we wobble with, and constantly debate, still to this day, which is no dogs. <laughs> and, you know, so there, there you have it. But that's, that's the extent of the rules at Ananda. And as I say, not only are the dogs' rules wobbly and fuzzy around the edges, so is the use of drugs or alcohol. Not that we allow it, but if somebody falls into that, we don't just boot them out. Swami was always, always caring about an individual. And as we heard earlier, Master was a friend. And if somebody had fallen, Master didn't condemn them. He tried to help them overcome whatever it was. And then, of course, if somebody perpetuates that behavior, again and again and again, then it just shows that Ananda is not the right place for them. But what I'm saying here is that the lack of rules and the caring about the individual is also a, 
and Ananda vibration that we have to perpetuate. Swami stated it as saying, the individual is more important, the, the, uh, the person is more important than the project. That the individual is more important than anything else. The individual is more important than an organization. And that constant caring about the individual. What is the purpose of Ananda? The real purpose of Ananda, the real goal of Ananda Sangha, is to create the best possible environment for the individual search for God. So it's not about group or organization, it's about every individual who's a part of it. And if we can create a really powerful magnetism and supportive environment, caring with kindness and friendship and love about every individual, then we're in tune with Master. Then we're in tune with Swamiji. But always we have to look at the growth of the individual first and foremost. And then the second, one might say, fundamental pillar of Ananda that Swamiji uh, exemplified and also clarified for us is that we must stay in tune with Dharma. As he put it, Tato Jaya Yato Dharma. Yato Dharma Tato Jaya. Where there is uh, adherence to righteousness, there is victory. That was a um, kind of the slogan or the saying of a Maharaja that Swami met. And, and it's stuck in his mind. So over and over again, Ananda Sangha has been tested about whether we will adhere to Dharma or not adhere to Dharma. And so far, we have never lost that test. You know, we were, one of our dharmas, as I said, is to practice these teachings and to share these teachings. Well, as you all know, um, Ananda was challenged, sued for, the, for sharing the teachings, basically sued for the use of self-realization as a term, which was master's term, sued for using the uh, name, image, or likeness of master, trying to prevent us from, from doing what we saw as our dharma. And I don't want to get into conflict and politics, but what I'm wanting to make the point is when you get under severe pressure, that's when your adherence to Dharma is tested. Not, not during the summertime of easiness, but when you're really tested. So Ananda spent $12 million defending our right to be disciples of Master and to share. Now to put that in context, the whole community up until that time, including probably all of the land, the cost of the land and all the buildings, was probably a quarter of that or a third of that. So we were willing to lose everything and spend 
four times as much as we did in order to live here, in order to continue to do our dharma, but also to do it with the fundamental vibration of ananda, kindness, caring about others. We didn't end up hating. We didn't end up uh, any negativity. It's just um, really the point that I want to make is that we need to stay very powerfully attuned to the vibration that Master brought. And if we do, then Ananda has a purpose, and Ananda will succeed in that purpose, because it isn't Ananda's purpose, and it is not Ananda's success. It is God wanting this vibration to go out and to spread and to change world consciousness, to uplift it in the way that it needs to be uplifted in Dwapara Yuga, as we were saying. And if we stay true to that, then God's power will be behind us. And it's not, as Davy said, it's not we who are doing it. It's not we who are building, designing, talking, singing, teaching, um, behind the tech, doing the beautiful flowers, and none of that. It's all God doing it. And if we can remember that this is God's work, that this is powered by Master and expressed by Swamiji, and if we can stay in that knowledge and that vibration, then Ananda will have a purpose and will have a goal, and we will be able to achieve that purpose and achieve that goal. And if, as an organization, we drift from that, we will lose our power. And so, fortunately, having been here from really before the beginning of Ananda, because I was with Swami before there was an Ananda in San Francisco, I've been able to see the whole time. And that adherence to the vibration and to the practices and to the desire to share all of those things for which they came, that has been growing. It's been growing and spreading and is deeper today than it has ever been. And so we have great, great hope for the future. But we have, one might say, a very important and sacred mission, and that is to be channels of this divine work that comes from God through this great lineage. Thank you, Jyotish. That was beautifully put. You know, I also was remiss in when I was thanking people at the beginning. I also wanted to thank our wonderful panel of speakers yesterday. You all did a wonderful job. And, and the flower gopis, my goodness, my goodness. And then also, uh, I want to thank Surya, who uh, <laughs> you'll see, he made a beautiful gift for everybody. And I threw him a couple of curveballs, but he, he caught them all. So thank you. 
Um, so we, on Monday, if you can remember that far back, we talked about a message of hope, that what the theme for the week is solutions for our times, and the message of hope that we've been given solutions for the challenges we face. But we also need to understand, with all its turbulence and all its uh, frustrating qualities, Dwapara Yuga presents wonderful opportunities. It's an opportunity, an age, where people can begin to have expansive thinking, to think outside of the box. That's what we can't do in Kali Yuga. We're limited to the box. So we can think outside of the box. We can look for solutions, new solutions, not just, well, this is how it's always been done, but new ways of doing things. The value of the individual begins to rise to the surface. And the ability for people to intuitively understand new ways of looking at the world, new scientific breakthroughs. You know, Albert Einstein uh, must have been a great yogi in another lifetime. The whole theory of relativity, there's an interesting documentary about his life. And as a young man, when he was still a patent clerk in Switzerland, he was obsessed with the concept of light. And he would go to coffee houses with his friends. And he lost a lot of them. No one wanted to sit with him, because all he wanted to talk about was light. What is light? What is light? Well, he was channeling a new concept that hadn't existed before. And he mathematically proved it. And scientists, I, I love when you see, um, yes, another uh, mathematician has shown that Albert Einstein really was right. And it happens over and over again. But the ability to see the world in new ways and to affirm the value of the individual. Dwapara Yuga also starts to break down the hierarchy, the uh, very strict societal boundaries and regimentation from authority from on high and then the little peasants down below. It's an age of where that hierarchy breaks down and we start to understand the need for a leadership that's affirmative and supportive and understands the needs of the people. And what are we talking about in all these things? We're talking about Ananda. It's all the thing, the qualities. And so it's, Swami already channeled, channeled it down. And you know, I was amazed. I read uh, something Swami had written that he said, I thought for years about how to start a community. You know, I came two years after Jyotish. I came 1969. But it, it, it seemed so self-evident how Swami was doing it all. But he had given it. What I came to realize was that he'd been thinking about how to do it for years and years. And then he got the opportunity. And he had this dissenting group and that dissenting group. But he knew what he was doing. And you could feel that from the beginning. I remember the very first day I set foot on this property, I had gotten a, I, took my last final um, to get my BA degree at Madison, Wisconsin, got a ride from the student ride board out to San Jose, 
That was the only ride I could get. Took a bus from San Jose, Greyhound bus to Nevada City. And then somehow I was able to get in touch with Ananda and got a ride. Uh, I was in the back of a pickup truck, which I had never done before. And uh, they just deposited me right on the, in front of Master's Market. It wasn't that at the time. And I was standing there. I had a backpack, a, su- a sleeping bag, and a little suitcase full of things. Here I was. I, don't, I really don't know how or why I got here, but I, my mother just took me by the scruff of the neck like a little puppy and put me down. And then I stood there, and I didn't know what to do. There was nobody around. And the market was just an old farmhouse. And then all of a sudden, I felt this wave of energy, like a wind, a strong wind, coming from behind me. And this man came up to me. And he looked rather ordinary. He had on Bermuda shorts. His hair was long, but he had it kind of tied back in a knot. (laughs) And he said the first words, I admit with uh, not pride, but the opposite. The first words he said to me was, you look like a Phi Beta Kappa, and, which is an honorary scholastic, which I was. But I sure didn't look it. I mean, I'd been traveling without a shower for four days. And um, anyway, it, and, and then he just kept moving. And then somebody came up to me and said, that's Swami Kriyananda. But what I felt was this wave, this wind of energy and purpose and vision. I never experienced anything like that in my life. And I knew that whatever, I mean, it was, there was nothing here then, really. There were a few good people, but that was it. And, but I just stood there and I said, something's going to happen here. Something very powerful that's going to help people. And I just knew it from that first feeling of Swami's energy. And so Ananda is the expression and we need to understand that it's the expression of the highest octave of Dwapara Yuga. The highest opportunities, Swami was able to bring it all down, the value of the individual, the ability for each person to learn from their own mistakes, the leadership that's supportive and not autocratic, the solution orientation, and looking at possibilities always. And we're doing it. We're doing it. And, and we, it, you know, sometimes when we're in the middle of it, we don't see the bigger picture. But the bigger picture is there. And we're, as we said earlier in the week, Swami often said when historians write about this period, they will say that Ananda and the Cooperative Communities Movement was the most important thing happening in the world at the time. Not the Ukrainian-Russian tension, not pandemics, not political dissension. That will all be forgotten. But what will remain and move forward into the future will be the highest qualities of Dwapara Yuga, which build a bridge for humanity to see a higher way of life. And yet we need to understand that this, it doesn't happen automatically. The, as Jyotish was saying, the two basic tenets of Ananda, first is people are more important than things, but we need to understand that on a deeper level. We hear it all the time, yeah, people are more important than things. But what it's saying is loving and supporting people 
is what we're trying to do. And if the projects fail, if the job doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. It's if people are growing spiritually. And if we are supporting people in that way, then it creates a magnetism. Sometimes people ask the question, Atman asked it the other night at the questions, how will we draw more new people? Well, if our underlying expression is one of kindness and compassion and looking at the needs of the individual, people will feel that. And this is, maybe you won't like to hear this, but one time many years ago, Swami was asked that same question. How do we draw more young people? And you know what Swami said? I don't care about drawing young people. I want to draw devotees. And if they happen to be young people, fine. But I, you know, people are saying, well, we could play different kind of music, you know, where it can go. And um, <laughs> Swami said, I, and further, Swami was at a communities conference and someone gave him a very flowery introduction that he's the father of the spiritual communities movement and on and on. Swami gets up there. He never, he always surprised us. And, um, and so here's the father of the spiritual communities movement. Swami gets up there and he goes, I don't really care at all about communities. I care about people finding God. And it was just like, oh, you know, it was a shock to that group. But that's where he was coming from. If we have a center that reflects the highest purposes of uh, Dwapara Yuga, and if we live it, each one of us has the responsibility, because uh, without that, it won't hold together. But people are more important than things, meaning that each we honor each individual in their search for God. And everyone's path is a little bit different. Everyone's expression will be a little bit different. I, I've told you before once at a Kriya initiation, and many blessings to the new Kriya bonds who will be taking Kriya for the first time this evening, and for all of you who are helping to prepare the Kriya ceremony and leading it. Um, but one time after a Kriya initiation, we had all gone up to Swamiji for his blessing. And afterwards, a small group of us were standing near him, and Swamiji said, I had a most unusual experience during that Kriya initiation as I blessed you all. I felt how each one of you had a unique path to God, even though all disciples of Master, but each one of you had a different journey, and I could feel it, how each one of the journey that each one of you would take to find God. So that's the beauty in this complex, multifaceted community is that every one of us, even though we're doing the same techniques, following the same teachings, we have to walk the path our own way. Some of us are monastic, some of us are single, some of us are married, some of us have children. And yet it's, and so we all have different dharmas to play out. But underneath it all, it's all the same. It's all the same path to God. So people to honor the individual path to God. And then as we said, where there's an adherence to truth or dharma, there's victory. And we've had, Again, Swami just was firm in this. You know, after the fire, well, before the fire, there was a couple here who wanted to leave. They, they were nice people, but this wasn't their thing. 
And so Swami told them, we will buy your house from you. We didn't have the nice organization now that then that we did now. Swami said, don't worry. We'll, the community will find a way to buy your house. And then you can leave with some resources. And then the fire hit. And everybody lost their homes. We lost our home. Durga and Vidura lost their home, on and on and on. Durga's mother, call, or Durga called her mother after the fire. And her mother was all frantic. And she said, well, did you get the furniture out? No, mom, we didn't get the furniture. Did you get your clothes out? No, mom. And she was going on. Finally, Durga said, mom, imagine a handful of ashes. That's what we have left. And her mother got very quiet. But anyway, that's where we were. We all had a handful of ashes. But Swami had promised those people that he would buy their house, even though they were leaving. And none of us had housing. And money started coming in, not huge amounts, but little donations. Swami used that money to buy those, give that to the people so that they could leave with a little nest egg. And he said, we have community. We have each other. We have master. They're leaving all that. And so I think that simple act and also the fact that we did not sue the county who had inadvertently caused the fire. And all of our neighbors settled out of court for millions of dollars. Ananda didn't take a penny. Swami said, I didn't come to this county to take. I came to give. I think those two things, where there's dharma, there's victory. And look at us now. Look at us now. That's dharma in action. And so. But we need to understand that we all have a responsibility, every one of us, young, old, in between, wise, foolish, whatever. And I want to read you something that I found very sobering, very serious, something that Swamiji wrote in his biography of Yogananda. And it's at the end. First, he talks about Yogananda's legacy and you know, bringing self-realization, um, <clears throat> spreading a non-sectarian religion, the teachings of Kriya Yoga, communities, and so forth, things we've been talking about all week. And then this very end of this chapter, the next chapter, how will Yogananda's legacy spread? And he talks, he begins the chapter talking about organizations that trying, hoping that Ananda, just as Jatish was saying, is based on supporting the individual, is based on the individual search for God. And that's the most important thing. And then Swami goes on to say this. What about Ananda? Will the Ananda communities adhere always to Yogananda's high principles? I'd be naive to think so. Yet I have at least done my best to ensure their endurance for as long as possible. I have reduced the temptation of pride in its leadership by decentralizing as much as possible, by making the communities themselves autonomous, by appointing <clears throat> Those, <clears throat> excuse me, those to leadership positions who had no desire for it, by appointing those as ministers who showed a desire only to share our guru's teachings, 
and by having both a spiritual director and a general manager, positions to which people are appointed, not elected. Yogananda provided against insurrection from below by appointing a self-generating board of directors. I have not in any case been able to respect, in this respect, to follow his example. It simply would not have worked. The Ananda communities are created by those who then constitute the membership. Thus, probably the dilution will come from below rather than from above. Who can tell? Delusion is a hydra-headed monster. I have simply not been able to imitate Hercules and cut off all its heads at once. This feat one may be able to accomplish for himself by a supreme act of love, but no one can ever impose such a thing on others, nor would it be desirable, even if it were possible. So yes, Ananda too, in time, will follow the well-beaten path and betray its ideals. The best we can insist on is that individuals be empowered to maintain their own integrity and follow their own star, regardless of the common opinion. These last two sentences are the most important. Communities, too, will work as long as enough of their members think what can I give, not what can I get? As for religion, the saints alone are its true custodians. Well, this is a call to all of us. We have something from, through the grace of God, that is, has the potential to elevate human consciousness but we need to be mindful of our responsibility. If we take it for granted, it won't succeed. I had never read this before, and it made me very sober as I read it. We can do this if we adhere to the principles. We can do this if each one of us lives the spiritual life, not with discipline imposed from outside, but with self-discipline the best we can. Give it the best we can. And don't take anything for granted that, well, Ananda will always be here. Yeah, maybe this temple will be here for a long time. But what will the spirit be? The spirit in this temple now is beautiful. So let's leave the legacy to the next generation who are coming, the vision of what we've been given and the grace of God that has enabled us to create this vision. And with doing this together, with loving support, with cooperation, with positive thinking, not criticizing this and this and this. But, you know, as Master said, if I wanted to criticize this organization, I could start and never stop. Of course there are flaws. But the important thing is to keep the search for God and the support of devotees in their search for God, the pillar upon we, which we uphold the legacy that Master and Swamiji have given us. We'll talk just briefly about the role, the purpose and goal of the individual because it's so close to what we have already been talking about.
In fact, Ananda Sangha is nothing more than a collection of individuals. And so unless each of us as individuals are imbuing what we were talking about, the collective consciousness will follow the individual consciousness. So coming back to the individual, why is it important that we as individuals follow these principles? Well, there are several reasons, but I would say, and what principles? One, we have to live the teachings that try to allow us to make progress in the quest for God. The real purpose of Ananda is to produce saints. The purpose of our lives is to become a saint. And however much, in whatever diverse way, we may tread that path, nonetheless, that's the, that's, that's the purpose, is to practice these teachings and also to be not closed in that practice, to be open to sharing, to give whatever wealth we have, which is both physical wealth and spiritual wealth, and, and to share that with others. Because if we collapse in on ourselves, we won't be practicing the teachings. But one of the reasons that it's important that we do this is that at this time in history, we need models to say that if you practice these teachings, it works. Otherwise, it's just philosophy. It's just somebody's good theory. And if you don't have anybody actually following those principles and demonstrating that it works, then, um, that, then, then it won't have any power behind it. We, as individuals, a teacher, for instance, they have to live what they're teaching. Otherwise, it's got no power behind it. They can be the best scholar in the world, but if they aren't living what they're teaching, it won't have power. I once read somebody's advice about how to pick a, a yoga teacher. This was Hatha Yoga. They said, find a yoga teacher who practices Hatha Yoga outside of the classes that he or she gives. Because if you don't do that, you don't really love what you're doing. So obviously we have to practice it, but we have to practice it in a certain way. We have to dedicate ourselves individually, but we've also said we can't get so rigid in that that we become world-rejecting. Because if we become world-rejecting, we again won't have any power to be a model that people want to follow. Swami, Swami did so many innovative things, but among them was to create the Naya Swami order, which was um, a new kind of Swami order, which, and he, he said, the reason that we wear blue instead of Geru or orange is that orange represents the fire of renunciation and non-attachment. So you, that you burn up all your worldly attachments in that 
and uh, you're no longer attracted or bound by those. He said, that was the right form for Kali Yuga, but not the right form for Dwapara Yuga. In this age, we want to bring God out of the philosophy and into daily life. And so he said, we do not want to be world rejecting. We want to be samadhi affirming. And so we wear blue because it's the central color of the spiritual eye. And so, so our life is in order to move toward that goal of samadhi. What is samadhi? It's ultimate joy. It's bliss. It's pure love. It's all of the qualities of God. And so our job is to move toward that. But as an individual, Ananda, we really have, I would say, two primary jobs. Obviously, we have to follow the teachings, but I'll come to that. We have two primary jobs. And I carefully wrote down um, this morning um, the, the way to state these, because it's quite complex. Well, it's not so much that it's complex. It's difficult. Uh, to practice. So listen carefully because I've carefully written down the statement of this. What's your job as an individual? One, to be happy. Two, to live in friendship and harmony. That's it. Now the practices are in order to bring us to being happy. And we need to demonstrate for the world that if we follow these practices, we're happy. That's why Swami kept quoting this fellow, because he said, you can tell Ananda person because they're happy. They're filled with joy. They're bubbly. They're laughing all the time. Well, we need to hang on to that. But that will dissipate. It will dry up like a little pond in a desert wind unless we keep feeding that from the source of happiness within, which is joy. And so in order to be happy, we have to practice the teachings, not because they somehow are esoteric or anything else. The purpose of the teachings is to help us be happy. And beyond that, to help us be what we really are, a bubble of bliss the sea of mirth itself. That's how Master ended that great poem, Samadhi. So um, to be happy, that is our first individual responsibility. And then to share that vibration of happiness by living in friendship and harmony with all the other people that are part of our our, whoever we connect with, and also to continue to demonstrate peace and harmony to everybody that we come in contact with. And as a model, this world, we started out with the main problems of this world. And the biggest problem is that people can't cooperate can't be peaceful, can't see others, but ultimately 
They don't wish for other people's happiness. And in that, they lose their own happiness. We have to try to the best of our ability, not only to be happy, peaceful, harmoni uh, harmonious and friendly to each other, but to the whole world. And as Davy said, you know, the danger will come from below rather than above. There will come a sense into the community that that is not our purpose, that we have some other purpose, or it will fracture into, um, into division. And we have to work against that. But how do we work against that? Not with rules, not with coercion, with the magnetism that comes from the simple practice of trying to be happy according to the tools that this great path gives us, to share that happiness with everybody and living in friendship and harmony. If we do that, the rest, all the details will take care of themselves. And if we, as an individual, begin to fall from that, you'll just find that your life doesn't work. And so as a community, as a Sangha, we have to be careful not to allow things that are introduced, tendencies introduced into the community that take away individual happiness. We have to balance our lives. You know, Ananda people are very, very dedicated. We have to be careful not to lessen our dedication, but to include happiness as part of the way that we find that dedication. So if we become too imbalanced, we become grim, work makes us upset and angry, then we have to balance that a little bit because the individual is more important than the project. People are more important than things. So we need to work on that balance. But the North Star by which we need to navigate the difficulties of life, and they will come, as we've heard throughout the week, unless we have difficulties, we won't grow. They will come. Illness will come. Economic challenges. Everybody in this room has faced difficulties and will face difficulties. What's the way out of your difficulty? by being happy. Because the primary difficulty is that it makes you tunnel visioned and makes you unhappy. So the way out is so simple. Just relax and be happy. And we need to try to do that. I was meditating a couple of days ago and um, I was getting a little bit more grim. Um, Davy and I have tried to significantly up the time of our meditation after our seclusion. I was making me a little bit, with the pressure of preparing for the classes and all of that, I was making me a little bit tense about it. And I just stopped and I laughed. I said, what's the purpose of meditation? To make me grim? 
I said, no, I just need to relax about this whole thing and emphasize joy, emphasize happiness. And then, then everything, the rest of the meditation worked out. All of your problems will work out if you can maintain your joy. And nothing will work out if you can't. And that's the vibration above all that we need to live in our lives, model for the world, and offer as the solution to the challenges of our time. It's so simple, but as I say, not easy. God bless you. Well, I'll be very brief in this closing. <coughs> I wanted to share a quote from one of the great spiritual lights of our times who recently left his body in January of this year, Thich Nhat Khan. Thich Nhat Han, I don't say his name right. He was a Buddhist monk from originally from Vietnam, and he started, he was really one, they call him the founder of mindfulness, and he started a community in southern France called Plum Village. But he had this to say, very interesting, Zen Buddhist. It is possible that the next Buddha will not take the form of an individual. The next Buddha may take the form of a community. A community practicing understanding and loving kindness. A community practicing mindful living. This may be the most important thing we can do for the survival of the earth. Very powerful. And so Master was asked in the last days of his life, how can we carry on after you've gone? And he said, when I am gone, only love can take my place. And this is the legacy that he left, the love of God and the love for God in each other. And he befriends us and he guides us much more than we know, much more. And I'll just close now. A few years ago when we were in India, the group in Mumbai, of which Aditya and Vicky are a part, they gave us this beautiful book called In Master's Eternal Joy with Deep Reverence and Love from All the Devotees of Ananda Mumbai. And it's all letters of Master. And there's one in here that um, we have a copy for it, a beautifully illustrated copy. And I'll read it, but you can, it's on the little tables as you leave. But it's a remarkable letter. So let's focus. Let's put down things, notebooks, sit up, take a deep breath, exhale. Lift your mind to the point between the eyebrows. And feel like Master is talking to you. This is a letter Master wrote it was in the East-West Magazine, 1933, November. I feel like he's saying this to you. To my friends, to my friends in all lands and in all worlds, 
greetings and goodwill. Wherever you are, whoever you are, of whatever color, race, or creed, I send you my love and the pledge of my loyalty. You who for thousands of years or for only a day have worked and fought for justice, freedom, and truth, receive my gratitude and devotion. You who dwell in palaces or hovels, in cities or in jungles, in mansions or dungeons, if in your heart there is the urge toward higher, better living and loftier ideals, believe me when I say I am your friend and that I count you blessed friends of mine. Many of you I have known in the past. Some of you I have never seen. But I think that in God's appointed time, I shall meet each one of you face to face and give you proof of my affection. However, it matters little that we are not together now, nor does it matter that time and space may separate us by almost infinite distances. The only thing that counts is that we are friends, working together in a common cause, the cause of righteousness and the expansion of consciousness of the children of the Most High. Although I see you not, I often feel your presence near or thrill with the noble thoughts which you send out to find their home in minds attuned to yours. Although you may never read the words which I am penning now, I declare to you, you shall feel the vibrations of tenderness and kindliness which emanate from me to all of you. Our work, our love, our purposes are one. March on, dear friends, to higher, brighter goals. Continue in your dreams of happier days and your deeds of service to your kind. Protect the torch of faith from the winds of doubt and let no storm disturb your peace of mind. Farewell, dear friends of mine, until we meet. Swami Yogananda. God bless you all. May Master's blessings and grace empower us to continue the great work he brought to the world. We have a great, great fellowship together. <laughs>